Hey guys, welcome back to Unshakable. It's great to have you back. We're in part two of our study of transgenderism. We're going to jump right into it. Today we want to talk about root causes. What are the root causes of this, this seemingly exploding transgender movement that we see happening all around us? Understanding root causes is always good for Christians so that we can know as we're talking to people about difficult things that we know how to respond in a way that is both factually true, but also seasoned with grace. So last time we talked about the world's argument, which is that we can separate biological sex from gender. So how we're made, how we're created, how we're designed from how we want to identify. So where does that go back to? Well, it really goes back to the universities, of course, back in the 1990s with the development of what we call gender studies programs. And gender study programs, which again, back in my day, you couldn't even, that wasn't even a thing, wasn't a major, wasn't even a thing on campus, but now it's absolutely huge. Where does that come from? Well, it's the outgrowth of two things. First of all, what we call postmodern theory, postmodernism, as you've probably heard about. And that's the idea that there is no real objective truth out there. It's your truth, it's my truth. It doesn't have to be grounded in reality. Uh, truth is utterly relative to one's experience. And so you can see how that might play into the gender confusion we have today. And this is where the academic world absolutely lives today. They are all about postmodern theory. And of course, that spills over into culture. Now, as Christians who love the Bible, we know what this really is. It's called believing lies. And um, we see it laid out probably most clearly in Romans chapter 1. As we move away from the truth of God's word and we increase in sin as a society, the natural outgrowth of that is going to be confusion and corrupted thinking. So here's what the Bible says. Because they will not acknowledge God or honor him, they exchange the truth about God for what? For a lie. And their thinking becomes futile. Professing to be wise, they become fools. That is postmodern theory laid out right there 2,000 years ago in the New Testament. Now, the second influence on gender is third wave feminism, which you may or may not have heard of. Maybe we'll do an unshakable on that someday. But that also really grew uh, back in the 1990s, where we began to accelerate in this very strange thinking of applauding masculinity in women. And when we saw masculinity in men, we called it toxic and dangerous. And on the flip side, we began to applaud femininity in men and then we talked about if a woman were feminine, well, that would be outdated or even weak. And so we have put, you put those two things together, postmodern theory and third wave feminism, and you have a definition of gender studies programs today. It is confused, it's, it lacks logic, it's, and it's really had a terrible, terrible effect on our culture. So today, the idea that you can separate sex and gender is almost universally accepted. Uh, not only has it happened in the university, but again, it's spilled out into almost every facet of our lives. You hear this phrase a lot, gender is a social construct. What does that mean? Well, it means that according to the academics in this world, uh, gender can be defined collectively as a society. Gender has no objective reality. It's whatever the majority of society or what the most influential people in society say it is. And if that's the case, then it doesn't have to line up with biological reality. Everything then becomes fluid. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing this idea that forget biological sex, 
Let's talk about gender. It's on a spectrum and it's totally fluid. That means that that gender can be not only removed from biological sex, but then broken up and morphed into an unlimited number of identities. And that's what we're seeing today. If you go on social media, you will see the number of gender identities now is, is unlimited. It's, it's off the charts. So last time we tried to correct that. We said, look, biblical truth is our foundation. And in the Bible, there is no distinction between one's biological sex and one's gender. God has designed us as a unity in both sex and gender that extends to all of our relationships. And of course, that goes back to the very beginning that God made us in his image, made us male and female. And then we talked about the danger from God's perspective in confusing gender and gender roles, how that is is destructive to the family and it, it upends his very divine order the way he has designed us. Now, I wanted to add a caveat to that today so that people don't uh, misunderstand what I said in our last episode. Male and female roles matter to God. No question about that. But that doesn't mean that every man and every woman has to fall into a male or female stereotype as we've defined it in Western culture. In other words, we don't have to say, well, masculinity has to look like this and femininity must be like that. In other words, boys have to love trucks and girls have to love dolls. That's actually not biblical. That, that, that is a social construct. So there is room for diversity, differences in personality between men and women in the body of Christ. There's room for diversity in likes and dislikes. So yeah, we can have men who enjoy cooking and could care less about watching football on Sundays, and that's fine. We can have women who go rock climbing and who never want to wear pink, and that's fine, right? So, so we gotta be careful that we, as we talk about biblical sex, what it means, the foundation for, for, uh, for biological sex in the Bible, that we're not extending that to stereotypes that we've come up with, right? And by the way, those personalities, those likes and dislikes, they fluctuate over, over a lifetime through stages of maturity and seasons of life. I know many girls who grew up as tomboys, we call them tomboys back in the day, because they didn't want to play with dolls, but they grew up to become very feminine. I've known boys who were very introverted, very passive when they were growing up as children, but then ended up being very strong, you know, leaders of Fortune 500 companies. So things change over time, and that's why when we talk about gender, when we talk about about these fluctuations and seasons of life, we have to be really cautious with children, with minors and teenagers, right? Uh, because things change over time. We'll get to that in a future episode, but that's where it gets dangerous. So as Christians, we affirm biology, right? But we also affirm uh, gender roles as defined by God, and then we celebrate human diversity in terms of personality and likes and dislikes in the body of Christ. Okay, that was my caveat. Just get that out of the way. Last thing I want to cover in this episode is one of the major root causes we're seeing right now out there in the world is what I call a social contagion. I used that phrase in a sermon I did on sex and gender some months ago. We are seeing, it is literally, and, and the statistics bear this out, the number of young people claiming to be transgender today is off the charts because it's become a social thing. It's a social contagion. Here's what you have to know. A lot of what we're seeing is rooted in narcissism. It's rooted in hyper-focus on the self and our own feelings and our own emotions. So the idea goes, if I can separate biology from how I feel about myself, then I can identify in any way I want. And, and of course, with especially with the young people today, 
if I can separate my, my biology from my gender and say, this is the way I want to identify, and I can get something out of that. If I can gain something, that's what I want. So if I get attention, if I get affirmed by people, if I get celebrated for who I am, those are all pluses in terms of, of, of the social hierarchy that we see, especially with young people today. Also, a person who decides they're gonna identify one way can then demand that other people suspend all biological reality and bow to what that person wants. And again, that, that makes them feel affirmed, it makes them feel celebrated. You have to bow to how I want to be identified. That gives me control, control over you. I can actually shame you if you won't identify me the way I feel I should be identified. I can even compel your speech to use pronouns that identify with me. And if not, I can take to social media and I can, I can shame you and try to cancel you. So there's a whole lot of really negative social issues involved in this. But yeah, uh, it gives them a sense of control, a sense of power to be able to say, this is who I am and you must bow to that. It also, here's the last thing I'll say, it also places some people who feel uh, like they're not empowered to put them in a, a new category of power, a category of an oppressed class, uh, a persecuted class of people. So this is what we call the, the victimhood you know, sort of pyramid. So if I'm low on that victimhood pyramid by changing my gender, okay, air quotes again, changing my gender, I can move up the intersectional ladder and now I can get more attention, I can be affirmed, I can be celebrated. And folks, in this weird social media age that we live in, that's what so many of our young people are looking for. So we gotta be careful. So just know all of those things, where it comes from, what some of the causes are. And again, that's gonna help us to understand as we come into contact with people who are trans. Now, I wanna be careful. That doesn't describe everybody in this movement. And we'll get to that in future episodes. But for now, that's enough for today. We'll see you uh, next week uh, on, the, on the next episode. Until then, remain what? Unshakable and love each other well. See you soon.